Elections take place this week in many areas for police and crime commissioners. The CLA is calling on the candidates to show their commitment to tackling rural crime. But the whole system needs to have an injection of interest and investment um, to, to stop this sort of plague of rural crime that we have throughout the county. And with more deaths on farms recently, an impassioned plea for a change of attitude to farm safety. Too often I hear, I've always done it that way, I've got away with it. We'll hear from Stuart Roberts, Deputy President of the NFU, and Nick Sanford, Acting Regional Director of the CLA shortly. Plus, of course, Sean Sparling with Agronomy Advice and Kit Dickinson from Openfield with the Market Report. The Week in Agriculture. This is The Farming Programme with Steve Orchard. Hello, good morning. We move from the frostiest April in over 50 years and possibly the driest into, at last, a week of wetter weather as we herald the start of Merry May. This week's farming forecast is at the end of the programme. And from the news this week, Friday saw the launch of Farmers Guardian's Farming Can campaign to showcase what farming delivers for the nation and how key it is as the country rebuilds from the pandemic. We'll hear more from Olivia Midgley from Farmers Guardian on next week's farming programme. Pilgrim's Greater Manchester Pork Processing Plant has put 100 workers on a three-day week as China's imports ban continues to impact the sector and farmers are being encouraged to boost security in farmyards and buildings following several thefts of expensive GPS equipment in East Anglia, the Midlands and the North West. Screens, domes and control units have all been stolen. We'll hear from CLA Acting Regional Director Nick Sandford on the subject a little later. And a new variety of maize is proving successful following farm trials. To tell us about Neutrino, welcome Peter Brundle from Hutchinson's Agronomist. Firstly, Peter, what's the general market for maize like currently? Well, what's happening, Steve, is that um, the, the area of maize grown in the UK is, is slowly but surely growing. Um, last year, we saw um, somewhere around 226,000 hectares, um, which compared with five years ago is quite a big growth. Um, that demand has been uh, driven really by the AD sector, biogas sector, which has grown, and also um, the demand for grain maize as well. Um, generally, the forage maize um, demand is, is pretty static. It does vary from year to year, but um, main growth is AD and grain maize. What about this neutrino crop then, which has been in the news? Why has this proved so successful, do you think? Well, we're constantly looking for new varieties uh, of maize seed um, because um, maize breeding is is way ahead of, of I guess where we are with wheat and all seed rape in terms of the benefits you get with the breeding programs we have in place. So um, there's a, always a looking out for um, newer varieties, and neutrino is one of those varieties that uh, popped up several years ago that we thought looked very good in trials so we follow the same process each time with a new variety if it performs well in trials then we'll take it out on farm the next year in small quantities with um, growers that we know um, can compare it with our existing range of products and then if it performs well on farm and the agronomists are happy with it then um, the next year which is this season we've just had for neutrino we will widen its appeal and, and take it out to a, a wider geography. What do the trials involve? Um, they basically involve growing the, the different varieties together in similar conditions so you can compare like with like in different geographical areas. Thank you, Peter. Peter Brundle from Hutchinson's Agronomists. 
Stuart Roberts, Deputy President of the NFU, is, I'm happy to say, a regular on the farming programme and we follow each other's tweets and so on. Now, the other day he got, well, quite hot under the collar, tweeting on the subject of farm safety. I'll read you the tweet. Sometimes I feel utterly powerless and sick to the core about our industry's approach to health and safety. It's not big, brave, clever or courageous to take risks, ignore danger or dismiss safety. Every single one of us can do something every single day to make our farms safer. Now, safety is a subject we've discussed on the farming programme before, and I make no apology for raising the subject again following more farm deaths recently. Stuart, good morning. What brought on this impassioned tweet? Good morning. I basically have started to get deeply upset, actually, more than anything, about health and safety. And it, there's no one particular thing that led to it. In some ways, maybe it was the... Uh, the publication on the fatality statistics, which show pretty much we have one fatality a week. Um, but actually, it's more than that, Steve. It's as an industry, we are talking about health and safety these days, probably more frequently than we ever have. Um, and that's a really good thing. But I'm still seeing way too many people taking risks, either uh, I see that on the TV when I watch lots and lots of very popular programs with people behaving in unsafe ways, or I see it amongst my friends and peers and colleagues, or I see it on social media. And I think, you know, I hear too often we must do something about health and safety. I'm determined to do something about health and safety. Yet too many of us too often are not highlighting that to other people, are not making the changes we need. I still see way too many people on quad bikes not wearing helmets, too many people not switching machinery off when they get out of the machine. Um, we know what causes the fatalities. We know, therefore, how to prevent them all but they're always the same. You and I have talked about some fascinating topics over the last year, yet we don't talk enough as an industry about doing that one thing which we can all do, which is prevent uh, accidents that either lead to fatalities or serious injuries. Is it a macho thing, do you think? Is it Because it's an attitude thing, isn't it? more than anything else it, it is it's a, look it's a culture thing i think for me and too often i hear i've always done it that way i've got away with it i think there is a bit of a macho thing to it there's also a bit of popularity seeking that's leading to some of it so i look at what happens on social media people are arguably measuring their own popularity by how many likes they get and in order to do that are putting themselves in some very very dangerous situation. We've had Stephanie Barclay from the Farm Safety Foundation on the programme several times over the last year or so and they organise some great safety weeks to raise awareness and things like that. What else can we do, Stuart? Sometimes it's uncomfortable, okay, and sometimes you might be shy about doing it but we need to point out to our friends, our neighbours, our colleagues, our relatives when we see something unsafe. Too often we turn a blind eye and think, actually, I'm embarrassed to tell them that actually they really should turn that machine off. Or I don't want to be the one who points out to them that actually they really ought to have a helmet on that quad bike. And, and actually every single one of us can come up with an example of where we turned a blind eye. 
And, and I don't want anyone to turn that blind eye because can you imagine what it would be like if an accident followed that? You know, would you really want to say you stood by? And, and, and therefore, I'd encourage everyone where you see something that you think someone can do safer, where you see something where you see someone else taking a risk, point it out, highlight it to them. And actually, there's probably no bigger favor you can do to someone than do that. And it's something I, I would encourage everyone to do. You might just save their life. Let's face it. Absolutely right, Steve. You know, you never know. One day you might say something, you might prevent something, and you're absolutely right. You could well save someone's life. All right. Well, we'll just, for the time being, keep on banging the drum and just basically encouraging everybody to do what they can do. And as you said, it's perfectly within their control, isn't it? Stuart, thanks once again for your time. Thank you, Steve. So think on to agronomy with Sean Sparling now. Such an important yet frequently neglected subject safety. Hey, Sean, good morning. Yes, very good morning to you, Steve. Yeah, I couldn't agree more that it's so important that we're self-aware and conscious of looking after ourselves and others. And as someone who spends 90% of my time on my own, in the middle of nowhere, no roads, no cars, just farm tracks to drive up or down, depending on your perspective, and I only see people when I go into a farm office. So making sure that I'm being sensible and conscious of any potential issues, should I trip and break my leg, for example, in the middle of nowhere, how difficult is it going to be for me to call an ambulance in when I, all I can see is a few hedges and some trees and I'm, I'm up near Lincoln. So to me, I think that one of the best ideas to keep everybody safe who works on their own is that what three words app on your phone. You know, we've all got our phones in our pockets when we're walking fields or when we're working alone. It's an extension of us these days. But It's literally a lifesaver because should the unthinkable happen and you find yourself that you need desperate help, what three words will pinpoint your position to a three metre grid? Everybody should download it. If you're working alone or if you're going out walking or whatever, always take your phone with you and someone will always be able to find you if you've got what three words, no matter how remote you and your predicament end up. I know several people who are only here today because of the what three words app. So you never know when you're going to need it. You never know when you're going to need somebody to come and help you. What three words is the thing that's going to do it. The other thing I always carry, of course, is a puncture repair kit because you never know when you're going to get a blowout in your welly. Seriously, though, it's simple to download and very simple to use. What three words? Just download it because it might just save your life so agronomy then it's all getting a little bit samey i'm afraid we need rain we don't need frost we need a bit of warm weather but thankfully it is cold i say thankfully because the thing that scuppered us last year really was the hot and windy weather that accompanied the drought in march and april and may but with it being cool and dry the evaporation is at a minimum so i'm thankful for that as a small mercy there was a little drop of rain earlier on this week on tuesday i took 2.3 millimeters at home I didn't have to wear my coat all day. Um, It was just torrential drizzle, really, where I was. But it's a start, and we have to be thankful for it. Now, the forecast does look slightly wetter next week, so... Let's hope that they've actually got it right this time. I can be absolutely sure that the longer it stays dry, the nearer we are to getting wet. But, you know, in the words of Gordon Ramsay, need it now, need it now. 
So agronomy-wise, very little change on last week, as is obvious. All seed rates still struggling. And that last little run of frost from last week and the week before, I mean, they have absolutely caned some of these rape crops. They've taken out the main racine totally in some fields, leaving, you know, previously yellow flowering main racines brown and rotten. But there's plenty of time for these side branches and side flowers to, to come through and flourish. It's very, very dramatic to see that main racine go, though. Um, wheats and barley is T1's well underway. The ears are moving within the stem a little bit faster than the leaves are emerging. So as we keep saying, never assume anything. Get your knife out, cut them open, have a look inside. I also think at this point it's worth mentioning tissue sampling. Lots of people are being told to go out and do tissue analysis to see what the nutrition's doing inside the plant. That makes sense in some cases, but the results can be anything from totally irrelevant to useful. And that depends on your point of view, really, and how you interpret those results. The fact of the matter is, is that I said last week, the new growth is being fed from the older leaves. So if you were to do some tissue analysis and you send the whole plant in for analysis, including all those yellow, chlorotic, older leaves, which the new growth has already stripped of any nutrient in there, in, in these droughty conditions, the chances are those results are going to come back that you're completely deficient and therefore copious quantities of wonder brews can then be advised and applied. So only send the new growth in, but even then it only gives you a snapshot when it comes back of what those leaves had in them at that moment. It's a little bit like taking a photo from a, a motorway bridge because it'll show you the traffic, but it doesn't show you whether that traffic's moving freely or whether it's stuck in a traffic jam. So you need to understand how to interpret those results and, and understand what you want to get from them. For me, I think it's far more worthwhile in these droughty conditions for the agronomist to just identify the issues in the field and treat those issues accordingly. I'm seeing nitrogen deficiency. Well, the rain's going to solve that. Manganese and magnesium deficiency. You know, a few pence worth of chelated manganese and bitter salts, magnesium sulfate, is going to solve that very, very cheaply. I see no need to blanket bomb these fields with 20 other nutrients in there just to correct magnesium deficiency. I can guarantee you as well, when it rains, these crops are just going to green up. They'll suck up all the nitrogen. They'll suddenly be able to access nutrition in the soil. They'll green up but if a multi-nutrient foliar feed's already gone on that will be the thing that is taking all the credit so in these dry stressy conditions there are countless adverts in the press for every snake oil and foliar miracle to solve all of your issues as we see every year going back to time immemorial we've seen that but treat what's there and pray for rain that's probably going to do you as much good as anything and there are certainly by the way cases where intervention of multi-nutrient is going to be needed but it's unlikely that every field is going to respond or indeed benefit from that. So I think we need to flex our agronomy muscles by putting our training into action and assess the crop, identify the problem, identify the solution to that problem and treat that problem accordingly. If you see sulfur deficiency, you don't, don't go chucking nitrogen, phosphorus, potash, manganese, magnesium, iron, copper, molybdenum and 20 other nutrients at it, do you? No, you chuck sulfur at it. So each to their own though, of course, chacun a son goût, as your French say. So 
to sum up, sugar beet struggling, frost and the drought not helping, but the rain would. Um, cereal struggling, frost, drought and some varieties not helping, but the rain would. Kerin, Diego, Wolverine, Zaya, X-Days, Gleam, Skyfall, Firefly, looking a bit yellower than most. But Kinetic is definitely showing us that the rust is going to be an issue again later on. And Saki looking quite nice pretty much everywhere. So, oh, by the way, if you're going to put Sarone on rye um, as a late growth regulator, don't do it if the soils are bone dry and don't put it onto a stress crop because that's when we see crop damage. So let's see what the next seven days bring. And I hope they are wet. Thank you, Sean. Sean Sparling, Sparling Agronomy Services. As we approach local and police crime commissioner elections in many areas this week, the Country Land and Business Association has written to all PCC candidates to seek their assurances that rural crime and its effects will be top of their priority list if elected. Nick Sanford from the CLA, rural crime is a seemingly never-ending problem. What are you looking for from the police and the PCCs? Unfortunately, it doesn't get the resources that urban crime gets and it goes on unabated. What's more, because it's so frequent, I'm afraid that quite a lot of rural businesses and things just throw up their hands and say, oh, the police don't care, the police don't do anything, there's no point in reporting crime. That, of course, is a failure, because if we don't report it, we're not going to get anything done. But the whole system needs to have an injection of interest and investment um, to, to stop this sort of plague of rural crime that we have throughout the county. Money and manpower, I guess, are key to this, but it's not just numbers, is it? What else are you looking for? Um, we're urging that you know that call centres, when, when people ring up with a, a 999 or 101, that the operators are trained so they actually understand about rural crime. Because obviously, if you're in a call centre in the middle of the town somewhere and someone talks about hair coursing or poaching, they're probably not going to know exactly what it is even. So there's a certain amount of training needed to understand that. And I think, obviously, more police and more resources in the rural areas has an effect. And, and those police forces that have invested in things like, um, you know, quad bikes for police so they can actually pursue criminals across country, um, drones, technology, and using, you know, the latest um, technology as well. You know, the, you know there's a t- huge range of um, high-tech equipment um, and uh, stuff available but it obviously it needs to be there and these people need to be trained on it so they can actually be use those resources we just hope that the new police and crime commissioners do think really hard about this because it's obviously lincolnshire very much a rural county very much a rural responsibility for them and the police need to work with other agencies i mean as you know we have this complete problem across the county and across the country of fly tipping and again fly tipping is a criminal activity but the local authorities are involved the environment agency involved police should be able to convict people because it's a crime and again you know let's get the police uh, working closely with other agencies so they can have a united attack on these criminal activities that just go on and uh, a slightly different approach can often work wonders um, a large proportion of people living and working wherever they do live in fear of crime they've been affected by crime and the costs are considerable i think the average cost of rural crime is, is about five thousand pounds an instant now so it's, it's it's a significant amount of cost and, and damage that's going on well, let's hope that your campaign with the PCCs bears fruit. Nick Sanford from the CLA, thanks ever so much for joining us again. OK, thanks. Bye for now. To the markets we go now. Welcome with his weekly report, Kit Dickinson from Openfield. Good morning, Kit. Well, good morning, Steve. Traders continue to scan the weather surfaces looking for signs of rain in the forecast, which to date have failed to materialise in the key dry areas. There is some hope of rain in the US Northern Plains and the Midwest into the two-week forecast, which would benefit the ongoing spring maize and wheat plantings, but much more is needed. 
Canada remains dry, with StatsCan also forecasting their all-wheat area down by 7%, whilst parts of northern and western Europe are forecast some rain, which will need to deliver. The situation in Brazil is ongoing, and they continue to go backwards, with some estimates now 14 to 19 million tonnes below the USDA estimates. There have been what can only be described as unusual trade flows reported from Argentine maize being shipped to Brazil, Brazilian soybeans to the US and French wheat to the US East Coast, which is indicative to how tight the stocks are, even in the major exporting countries. New crop supplies can't come quick enough as we limp towards the Northern Hemisphere harvest, which is still three months away, and into the main volume. Prospects do not look encouraging at this stage for big bumper crops coming out of Europe. The fundamental case of grain market continues to be positive, although we were again reminded this week that it will not be a one-way street, when even the slightest hint of rain sends the record longs holdings funds position scuttling down towards the exits, exacerbating the price moves. Consumers have little cover internationally or domestically, and they struggle to come to terms with the size of the recent upward move. This was demonstrated this week by Egypt, who cancelled their tender to buy August wheat when faced with a $30 rise in the price from what they bought in their last tender a few short weeks ago. As we are currently harvesting their domestic crop, they can perhaps afford to wait, but there is no guarantee that the price will fall. Algeria tendered for May-June shipment, but bought 200,000, which is likely to be less than they wanted but offers were not plentiful. So looking at barley, old crop markets remain in the ad hoc mode with little malting quality being offered into the marketplace. Good news is the recent reports is that brewers are seemingly underestimating the demand from consumer for beer as the pub gardens reopen and they gather pace. New crop markets have seen some support directly from the weather story here in the UK and indirectly from other markets reacting to the weather and demand stories globally. As the drier period extended into another week, attention was focused on what this could mean for the recently planted spring crop. At the same time, maltsters were looking to take some new crop cover, with limited trade taking place, limited by the offers given the current weather outlook. Values remain supported at these levels, and it's a good opportunity to open the new crop marketing campaign. Oilseed rape, another roller coaster week for values as the Matif futures markets gets technical on the old crop position and the new crop trades global news, weather or humanitarian. Old crop domestic markets remain supported by the distinct lack of available seed, whilst the nearby Matif futures have moved into a technical trading range, dislocating from the cash markets. The odd old crop buyer remains and at the current values reflect the lack of availability, although there are some parcels now finding their way out of the sheds. New crop markets have been buoyed by the ongoing global weather stories here in the UK, Europe and North and South America. Competing stories on increased canola plantings in both Canada and Australia play ideas of reduced production in other areas like Europe, along with the sustained crude oil and veg oil markets. The demand side of the equation has now come into focus with the exponential rise in COVID cases seen in India over the last week and what this means for the veg oil demand into this key market as well as the human cost. With markets digesting this news flow, futures have had a choppy week, with daily trading ranges of €10 Euros commonplace over the last few sessions, as recent gains made their way out of the door for some midweek profit taking. So looking at prices this week, feed wheat for May has dropped to 199 to 201 but the more significant drop has been August new crop, 175 to 178 moving forward to November at 181 to 183 February 184 to 186 and May 186 to 188 Milling wheat premiums are currently in the region of 18 to £20 for new crop.
Barley, 165 to 167 for May, with a drop into new crop of 153 to 155 for August. November, 161 to 163. February, 163 to 165. And May 21, 166 to 168. Oilseed rate values from May 436 to 439, moving forward to new crop off the combine July 412 to 415, and November 421 to 424. There are limited prices going further forward, but please speak to your Openfield Farm Business Manager. Many thanks for that. Kit Dickinson from Openfield. The Farming Programme. Five-day forecast. Well, I'm delighted to say plenty of rain on the forecast this week and pretty much all week, particularly in the middle of the week. Fairly calm today with light rain later, highs of 12 Celsius. Monday sees the wind pick up in the afternoon from the south to southwest with speeds in the 20s, rain through the day and highs of 11. The strong winds continue on Tuesday, mostly westerly and a degree or two cooler. Wednesday sees the winds calm, but some heavy rain is forecast, possibly up to four centimetres. Cooler again with highs in single figures and down below freezing into Thursday. The week ends calmer and slightly warmer with some more light rain. Well, that's it for this week. But before I go, can I beg your support for our fundraising campaign on Lynx FM, raising money for disadvantaged children in Lincolnshire and Newark, Cash for Kids? We're all doing 5K a day in various ways, running, walking, cycling, scooting and even kayaking to work. As well as that, I'm going to be driving a train and a tractor in the next few weeks, neither of which can I do at the moment. We'd love you, the farming community, to get on board, either to get sponsored to do 5k a day yourself or whatever takes you fancy. We just want to raise as much money as we can. And whether it's £10 or 100 every contribution helps and every penny raised in the area stays in the area. Please help us. Visit the website for all you need to know, linksfm.co.uk, and click on Cash for Kids. Thank you, and see you next week.